This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to Mainspring Family Wellness. We're really excited to have Marnie and Dave Sugden here with us today, a local Orange County family with a very beautiful story to share. Um, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. <laughs> well, let's start by sharing your journey with the listeners. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your family and how it, how it all began. Sure. I met Dave in uh, college. We were we met in um, basically our first year of college and dated throughout college. Got married just after, so we've been married about twenty one years now. Mm-hmm. And congratulations! Thank you. We have three daughters. We realized about seven years into our marriage that we wanted to start a family, but it did not happen easily for us. So we began simultaneously the adoption process as well as fertility. And we were graced with a double blessing. We were matched with our oldest daughter's birth mother. And around the same time, I found out that I was pregnant. And so we have our two older daughters are born seven months exactly apart. And then uh, about eight years later, we received another uh, blessing with our youngest daughter, Ruby, Ruby and Charlotte, our oldest, have the same birth mother. So she was a surprise, a wonderful surprise that we received and kind of have completed our family. It's wonderful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your pregnancy. Well, my pregnancy, let's see, the first trimester was a bit of a high-risk pregnancy, and I was on bed rest a little bit, and but simultaneously did have a newborn, so um, was a bit of a juggle. But uh, Dave was very helpful and um, had lots of sweet moments with our oldest Charlotte. And but the majority of the pregnancy after that first trimester was like a typical pregnancy, and um, we did not uh, recognize that our second daughter, Audrey, had any special needs until later. And do you want to talk about what those special needs are? Sure. Why don't you go ahead, babe? Sure. So Audrey has unilateral deafness, and so she is deaf in her right ear. She also has cerebral palsy, and that mostly affects her right side. And so she can walk, and if you saw her, you'd notice a slight awkwardness with her gait. And one of the biggest challenges for Audrey is eating because it affects mm-hmm. her mouth, affects her tongue. She's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And so the way that she expresses her language is through sign language. And mm-hmm. so we learn sign language as a family. She also has microcephaly, which means that her head's a little bit tiny. Mm-hmm. And that's a good summary. What do you, anything to add, Marnie? Nope. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a good summary. Yes. What was the process in discovering her unilateral deafness? 
she you can so she yeah. first she failed her first hearing test, which is fairly common right. after mm-hmm. after she was born, and then there was a subsequent test sometime thereafter. I can't remember how long that was. Do you remember? I think it was she was about three months old when we did the neurological testing, the follow up. Uh, appointments with the audiologist who confirmed that there was the nerve does not function on mm-hmm. that right side. And it, around, let's see, so that was when she was about three months old, we began being followed by a, a school district representative who was assigned to us to meet monthly to just help us as parents be able to learn how might we best support our child who ha- is deaf in one year. Mm-hmm. What does it look like as far as accommodating and helping her receive as much sound as possible by reading into the better ear, awareness that we as humans use both ears to locate sound. And so unilateral hearing loss means that Audrey is not able to identify where the sound is coming from. So from a safety perspective, if we're outside playing and the street is nearby, it's important that we understand she might hear a truck coming but would not be able to know where that is. And so just helping her some of those types of things that the specialist from the school district would come and meet with us. And then at about nine months old, we were aware of the fact that although she and Charlotte had different genetic makeups and every child is, is unique, even if they're biological siblings, we didn't feel that Audrey was hitting some milestones in her development and her pediatrician felt the same and so had given us a recommendation to meet with a neurologist at Chalk Children's. And it was at that first clinical appointment when she was nine months old that we received the diagnosis of the cerebral palsy and microcephaly. And also at that time, the neurologist felt that her chronological age would never match or would most likely never match with her cognitive age, that there would likely be some cognitive delays for her lifetime. Okay, so I just want to acknowledge that this is so much for for just even the process of adopting. Mm -hmm. And then you're pregnant and then you find out now that you're your biological child has has special needs. Mm. I'm sitting here thinking, how did you guys, you know, regulate all this and and Mm. sit with the realities of this? I mean, this is, it's enough just for families to adopt a child, right? And and transition into that. How did you juggle this? Yeah. It, for me, I I have a recollection of Marnie calling, I was at work, Mm -hmm. to, to share the news about the unilateral deafness. And I remember just absorbing that and thinking, okay, that's, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. We've, we can, we can navigate that. And then I don't have a recollection of Marnie, she called me, but to share the diagnosis of cerebral palsy, I don't have a recollection of that. And I think it's in part because we, we knew something was up. Because our girls were so close in age, I can remember just thinking, gosh, I can remember when Charlotte was six months, she was sitting up and feeding her became really easy. Where with Audrey, it's just it's a huge struggle. And it's really hard to get her to eat out of a spoon. She had a tough time feeding. Bottles are hard. And then I think even before the diagnosis, she was in her car seat. And I noticed that she was drinking out of her bottle and she was holding the bottle with her left hand and her left foot and Mm -hmm. her right hand just kind of has this balled up fist and I remember thinking this does not seem consistent with what Charlotte was doing at that age Mm -hmm. and so I I think that the news wasn't a huge surprise and we were just kind of absorbing these things slowly I think that 
life was also so busy with newborns that it, it wasn't as though there was a whole heck of a lot of time to really contemplate and process this news. It was more a matter of, okay, now what? And I remember one of the really frustrating things was no doctor can essentially write out the blueprint and say, okay, this is what Audie's life is going to look like. We don't know. There's so much we don't know about the brain that it was a matter of just getting early intervention and taking it day by day. What are what are your thoughts? Yes, I completely agree. I, I think that in some ways wanting there to be some action steps and some sort of a a map as we probably would like to have with all of our children, mm-hmm. typical or non or atypical, and that was not an option, but what was offered was the information that with early intervention you can assist in allowing your child to try and and get to their best independence or be able to grow and learn as best as they can. And so trying to get those appointments scheduled, trying to figure out what the new norm looked like with the therapy schedules and and then uh, trying to not forget about the other child and trying to make sure that that child was receiving some individual attention because um, that can be uh, something that definitely has occurred in parenting at times, just the awareness that there is an imbalance at times of the amount of time and energy and support that you're giving your children. Um, yeah. so. And I, I think we all struggle with that as parents, but especially with um, extenuating circumstances that can make things extra challenging. How how do you guys make everybody feel special? It's It's not easy. So our kids won't hear this, is that? <laughs> they don't have to. <laughs> I think one of the diffi- one of the difficulties is that each and this is this is for any family, but you can't hold your kids to the same standard. Mm. And Charlotte and Audrey are in the same grade. They're so close in age, and yet we hold them to different standards. And a lot of times it will require me or Marnie articulating that to Charlotte. And explaining we can't hold you to the same standard as Audrey and and make sure she understands that. And I think she does. And then, and then meanwhile, we have Ruby, who's eight years younger, who's just kind of observing all of this. And in terms of how we make them feel special, we try. We, <laughs> we I, I think that all three – I mean, the one thing is they all treat each other like siblings. There's no special accommodation made for Audrey. I mean, they – adore each other like sisters, and they duke it out like sisters. And so I think that they understand that our family is a little bit unique, and we just try to endeavor to carve out time where they can just get individual time with one of us. And so on Monday nights, we will just – Marnie and I will alternate weeks and take one of them out. So I took mm-hmm. Ruby out for dessert last night. Last week you had – Audrey, Audrey, I think, yes. yes. And so, so things like that. Yes, each adult alternates, and then the, the three girls rotate. So every six weeks, they have an individual date with one of the parents. And so that has been helpful, and it doesn't end up necessarily needing to be a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But even if it's an hour on a walk and an ice cream or something, there's at least a, a time carved out for that connection. Yeah, that's, that's really Good advice for other parents as well. When we had Debbie Reber on from mm-hmm. Tilt Parenting, she was talking about for um, for families with kids with um, you know exceptional kids or special needs that quality time 
it's not always about quality time. Mm -hmm. It's more about assessing what the needs are for each of the kids and if they're getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you guys can kind of speak into that for your Mm -hmm. children and what are you noticing, what their needs are, Mm -hmm. and are they getting met? Uh, And this seems to be a season with both girls in high school, we'll be in first grade, where we'll talk, Marnie and I will talk, and and express how it seems they all have, at this age, significant needs. Mm-hmm. And they're all so different. And so I really do like our Monday nights and time where it's it's not designed to be, let's talk about certain issues. But a lot of times I will just choose to go for a walk. And there's something about a walk where the kids start talking and thinking out loud and kind of understand what is on their heart, what's on their mind, what their pain points are, what's stressing them out. And each child has different needs. Some some of our girls need to know that they are worthy of love. Some need to know they have to uh, build new work habits. It's It's all individual, but we try to identify those needs and as best we can. It's not... We've got lots of cautionary tales, but we do our best (laughs) to. (laughs) Well, how do you? I mean, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, get burnt out or their their marriages end up being their last priority. How do you guys find time for each other and nurturing your relationship? Let's see. Before Charlotte was born, so about fifteen years ago, or right around the same time when she was born, our oldest. Dave had thought of, I think we were both kind of experiencing a lot of stress at in the work, in our jobs. And as she was, once she was born, there was, he had the idea of every three months or so, let's spend 24 hours or more, but at least 24 hours doing a quarterly getaway. And that has been a practice that has really helped us in that during that 24 hours, we try to do Uh, check in with one another with regard to goals that we've set in the prior quarterly. And those goals are kind of in five categories. We talk about our spiritual life, our marriage, parenting, finances, and then health and exercise. And so we try to actually log this and take some notes and have it in some kind of printable format so that with each quarterly, there can be a check as to how how did we do this last quarter? And then um, and when we're really on our game, we'll try and print it out and have it be somewhere visible so that in the three months, it isn't just there is some sense of of acknowledging those goals and trying to review them and think about them during the time in between the quarterlies. But that can be a really healthy, needed recharge at times of just connecting as a couple. I think particularly in the early toddler years and during Audrey's um um, early diagnosis and everything, there was definitely, there can be times of feeling very isolated or not necessarily honoring one another with how possibly challenging the other's day was, but rather really feeling like today was such a hard day for me and here's why. And that did not serve us well as far as communication or uh, strengthening our marriage in any way. And also uh, seeking out counseling when needed to try and get some professional help with with that. How did you recover from that kind of bump where you're going, wow, you know, you don't really understand what it's like for me to be at home with mm-hmm. with the kids? Or mm-hmm. Can you speak into that, Marnie? Let's see. I think that through some counseling, there were some great suggestions regarding 
just acknowledging that we we do each have joys and challenges in our days, but that mine are not better or worse, harder or easier than Dave's. And, mm-hmm. and acknowledging that with a full-time job and trying to be a husband and supportive father, all of those things require a lot of time and effort and energy. And so appreciating all of the steps that Dave was taking to do his best in those areas and focusing a little bit less on myself. (laughs) So what you both were doing to help the team out, basically, on different fronts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that when we were at our, when we are, when we were at our worst, it would, it would be a situation where there's been a long day or a long days and we both are thinking, gosh, my life is so hard. My spouse should feel sorry for and appreciate me. And the other person's thinking, oh, that's nothing. Try to in my shoes. And then all of a sudden we just get further and further apart. And Mm -hmm. so I think counseling helped and just the maturing process of realizing that we should not be looking to each other to make us happy or fulfill my needs. Rather, how can I serve you? And it just, that it that helped a lot i think yes yeah. and there was a good book that we read and the the premise of the book was marriage is not intended to make you happy but to make you holy mm. and so spiritually thinking through also how is god what is god doing in my life and in my marriage to refine me and um, make me more like christ as opposed to um seeking um i guess affirmation as dave was saying from a spouse so your personal faith has been definitely uh, a major point in keeping you guys connected and probably also the same perspective. Perspective, yeah. 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 Well, and I have to say, um, I love getting your Christmas cards. You guys have the best, you know, year yearly story about what's happened in your family. And um, I just always think that your sense of humor and your outlook on things, um, that must be contribute to your healthy family life as well. Dave. You definitely have a great <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> it helps. Keeping That's a sense Dave. of humor is is it keeps our sanity for you sure. You have to, right? Yes. As a parent. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about sibling rivalry? Yes. Because I'm so close with having or pardon me. I'm so curious with you two having your two older girls so close in age. So how many months apart are they? Seven months to the day. Seven months to the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what has that been like for Charlotte as an adopt as your adoptive daughter? How do you guys conceptualize that at home? Does she have sibling rivalry with Audrey? Yes. Or maybe even yeah, with Ruby? No, I'm so well, curious. They what's what's both it can be really hard on us, but it's also beautiful in in the sense that they treat each other like sisters. And so they love each other. They bicker. They don't get along. And it's not as though Audrey gets a pass because she's nonverbal or because she's got special needs. I mean, she is having to play with the girls. And and so there's clearly a rivalry going on. But I think that when Charlotte and Ruby are in their best moments, they understand Audrey. And they, they can when they're not kind of being driven by emotion, they can take a step back and realize, okay, yes, she's got certain needs that we need to give her a pass for. And by the way, the same goes for Audrey. I mean, she can she can dole it out as good as anybody. So it's, they, they fight over the front seat. They fight over what movies we're, we're going to watch. Mm-hmm. It's, there's plenty of rivalries. But there's also beautiful stories of 
Charlotte and Ruby really caring for Audrey. And a lot of times the stories are told by others to us. In other mm-hmm. words, when Charlotte and Audrey are out in town, Audrey, Charlotte is a really good big sister and will kind of help her navigate and we'll hear from others what a great and loving big sister she is. So it's it's both. Yes. No, I, I don't think I have anything to add to that other than um, the – the age does play into the fact that at times I think there's a natural sense of fairness. And I think this maybe happens with with all siblings, that each of them would claim Charlotte and Audrey the oldest. It's not fair that blank and vice versa, whether it's technology time or responsibility or whatever that is. And so, but as Dave said, in their healthier moments, there is a awareness and an appreciation for the fact that they each have different Uh, privileges and they also have different responsibilities. Charlotte does have a lot more responsibilities and privileges as and so there it is. And we try and relay also life is just not fair. That is not something that's not a value that we place as a family that life is going to be fair. And so as Dave said, we have different um, different standards, different privileges at times, but it's what we feel like they can um, can do and what's best for them at that time. How old was Audrey's birthday when she, was it her thirteenth thirteenth birthday? This was great. So at Audrey's school, it's a deaf school, and so a lot of the kids come from all over the county. Mm-hmm. And so coming to a weekend birthday party is not the easiest thing. Right. So how old was Audrey? Oh, it was her thirteenth. Her thirteenth birthday, and so she had sent out a bunch of invitations to her friends from school. And as the RSVPs were coming in, they weren't. And so we were concerned that there just wasn't going to be a big turnout. And Charlotte just called an audible, reached out to all of her friends from church and school. And how many kids ended up showing? I mean, it was... I think it went from RSVP of one to about 20, 25 kids. So it was really nice. And Audrey, of course, really adores and appreciates the friends of Charlotte that she's met. So that was really sweet just to see um, Charlotte sending the texts and then getting excited. as our, And they kind of... Audrey's birthday party t- turned into almost a joint birthday party, but in a really healthy, sweet way. Not Charlotte didn't take it over, but she really enhanced it in a really sweet way. And Audrey felt super loved and honored yes. without thinking, my big sister did this for me. See, that was just a great party with all yes. of her friends mm-hmm. there. Yes. What yes. a great story. Good parenting. Good job. That's a, that's a it happens story. once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so then when you added Ruby to the mix... Tell us more about that. Do you guys have an open adoption? Is bio mom a part of the picture? So I have, we have, as adults, have a continued relationship with the birth mom who lives on the East Coast, the Southeast. And uh, so I stay in contact with her, send her pictures, get, give her updates, et cetera. When, before Ruby was born, the birth mom came out to California. And so Charlotte was about eight years old and we were told um, through social workers and other adoption specialists that Audrey, that Charlotte was in a sweet age of development in that she was still old enough to appreciate and uh, the uh, who the birth mom was and what that looked like, but also not so old that emotions and all of that felt very complicated in her development, let's say during the teen years where that might be a hard meeting uh, for her. And so she did meet her birth mom when when she was out and it was a very sweet time. Um, And but Charlotte does not have a continued relationship at this point. We have um, we have all of her contact information and have 
relayed. We, we often will say to Charlotte, if she has additional questions or if she wants to talk about things, we are would love to talk about that. And uh, and there has not been at this time an interest or don't even – yeah, it's not something that um, that we have addressed as far as a direct relationship with the birth mother and Charlotte right now at her age and development. And how old was she when she, when you started discussing that? Well, from a very, very young age, okay. she knew that adoption was a part of our family story and she and that it was a beautiful blessing. And so um, just talking about her birth mother was something that she knew from a very young age that she had a birth mother and what that mm-hmm. meant and and then meeting her birth mother when she was eight and just always kind of having an open dialogue if and when Mm -hmm. she had questions. We do have pictures and we'll share those with her as far as her birth mother and 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 then yes. So you've done the same with Ruby as well. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And when we shared with Charlotte and Audrey that we were gonna be adopting again, we shared immediately that it was the same birth mother. And then a few months later Charlotte got to meet her. Yes. And so it's always been the kind of in real time her knowing what's what the Mm -hmm. story is. It's really such a beautiful story, too. Really special story. Well, I would like to talk about what you were talking earlier about a crazy morning. And I think we all can relate to that. But what does a crazy morning or crazy day look like in your house? We'll pick a school morning. So we will try to get up before the girls. Marnie will get up, have quiet time. I'll sometimes get up to do some work before we have to start getting the kids up. And so we will... The first thing we'll do is put the light on in Audrey's room. She is a sound sleeper, and she just wants a few more minutes before she gets up. And so we'll flick her light on, start her breakfast, and then that's around 6.30 in the morning. And then we'll get her up. And with her, it's it's very, it's very hands-on in terms of her feeding. And so we will get her her morning drinks, which has like a nutritional shake. And then one of us will make her lunch and making or her breakfast. And that can be toast, waffles, but just cut up in really bite-sized pieces because of her challenge with eating. And then Charlotte gets up, Ruby gets up, and uh, we'll get her medicine, which we talked about. She has medicine every morning. And because of her eating challenges, it means a little bit of ice cream with pills and try to get the, get it down the hatch. It's not always easy. And then after that, Marnie will help Audrey get dressed and she can share with that. And, and it's it's a fairly fast-paced morning because mm-hmm. she has someone pick her up for her school. They all go to three different schools. Audrey's at Uni High at the Deaf and Hard of Hearing program. So she has someone pick her up at 725. And so it's the, the focus that first hour is kind of getting Audrey ready out the door. Meanwhile, we then get Ruby ready to get out the door, and then meanwhile Charlotte's getting ready for her day. So why don't you, why don't you speak yes. to? It's a lot of <laughs> a lot of balls to juggle. Yes. <laughs> I was just gonna say one thing that we found a little bit helpful, and we're not super consistent, but we try and use it. Is we laminated little checklists, and even Ruby at age six appreciates this being a part of that. So they, not Charlotte because she's too grown up for this, but Audrey and Ruby have checklists where they can kind of throughout 
the morning if they each have a down moment or just for us as parents, sometimes we'll think, shoot, did the teeth get brushed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's even helpful as a visual of the things that need to happen before each of them leave for the day. And so the sunscreen, deodorant for the older daughter and Mm -hmm. shoes, socks and medicines and all of that. And there is make bed tidy room, which that's a really great morning if that happens before they come downstairs. (laughs) It's not 100 percent on that. Yes. So just morning keeping everybody organized. And, yes. Yeah. Well, what would you say is your advice to other parents, especially those raising atypical or special needs kids? I would two things for me come to mind. One is seek early interventions as soon as mm-hmm. possible. We've just been so blessed with great caretakers and subject matter experts for Audrey. And I, I know there, there can be fear in finding out what's going on with your kid. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't change the reality. And so if there are parents that are thinking, gosh, I don't want to hear bad news, therefore I'm not going to seek some kind of intervention, please disregard that and, mm-hmm. and get help as early as possible. The other piece, I think, is lean into communities where you may meet, we've met wonderful families that have kids with similar stories and they're just bonding over that Mm -hmm. and go to events where you can meet because you just never know where you meet you may meet someone that could have a profound impact on your child and one example I think of is we were at a deaf it was a deaf event in River deaf family day in Riverside and there were little breakout sessions and Charlotte was in a sibling support group and she got to meet a guy named David Longo, who's the principal of the Deaf and Hard of Hearing program at Venado Middle School in Irvine and Uni High. And so he got to know Charlotte that afternoon, introduced us and said, you know, we should have Audrey come and try Venado. It's a deaf school and there's some good teachers there. And it's been one of the best things for Audrey. Wow. And just by going to events like that, you never know who you're going to meet. And so it's it's been great because... There are so many people who have hearts for kids with special needs. That we, Audrey's been so lucky to have so many good folks in her life. Yeah, and I know you you guys are both so involved at Chalk. Is that did that happen after Audrey was born, or was that sort of a catalyst to get you involved? Yes, I I think it was. Audrey was doing physical therapy, occupational therapy, and actually at the basement of Chalk, they had kind of outpatient therapy services. And so we were going there, and it was her feeding therapist who shared with me that if if I had time or if I could make time, there was a neat group of young women at the Chalk Glass Slipper Guild who tried to raise awareness and support for the hospital and that she thought it might be a good fit to to do that. And so that's how I originally got involved. And then Dave has since um, been involved with the hospital board as well. So You guys have such great insight and um, very inspirational story and so helpful and comforting to so many people in the with similar situations. So thank you for your thanks candor for and honesty. Yes, thank for you sure. so much. Yes, thanks for sharing your story today. Thanks, you guys. Thank you.